track and field fans across the globe said it would never happen, that it couldn't happen. But folks, it's almost here. Let's Run.com's kick-ass prediction contest for the first time ever has really cool prizes. The Koros Let's Run.com World's Track and Field Prediction Contest is here. It's free to play. Get your friends to do it. Even if they don't follow track, we have a guide. Sign up now, Fantasy Track and Field. It makes it so much fun. You can play in your own group, and you can win a cool kick-ass Koros watch. I think we're giving away a ton of them. I'm not sure how many. Well, then. First place, $500 gift certificate. Second place, $300 gift certificate. Third place, $200 gift certificate. We also have a special coaches division. For every coach out there, Koros has a training hub. All you got to do is be a coach, beat the other coaches. That's not hard. The winner of that division gets a Koros Pace 2. That's the Iliad Kipchoge watch. There's an Iliad Kipchoge special edition of that watch. Emma Coburn, where's Koros? If you're not running in Koros, there's something wrong with you. So check it out. Link in the show notes. And if you haven't done it, you need to join the Supporters Club today to get all the coverage from Eugene. You want daily podcasts from Eugene? You got to be a Supporters Club member. Otherwise, the next time we talk, the men's and women's 10,000 meters will be completed. The men's and women's marathon. The men's 1,500. The men's 400 meters. The men's and women's 100 meters. You're going to wait a week to hear what happened? No. Join the Supporters Club today. You can save 20% on running shoes. It pays for itself. Join for one month and cancel for all week here. Let's run.com slash subscribe. It is time to welcome everyone to a special World Championship preview edition of the Let's Run.com Track Talk podcast. What an insane week in the world of track and field. And that's before we even get to the World Championships. Stefan Hassan has returned her first race since winning double gold at the Tokyo Olympics last year. Jerry Schumacher has been named the new head coach of Oregon Track and Field. Mo Farah has revealed he was trafficked as a child and the first ever world championships held in the United States begin on Friday. What a podcast we have in store. What a week. What a month for track and field fans, really. This is Jonathan Gold. I am almost at the end of my trip across America. Road to Eugene. Started out in Brookline, Massachusetts on Saturday morning. It's now Tuesday evening and I'm in Salt Lake City, Utah. So maybe not almost there. Still got Utah, Idaho, and Oregon to go. But I'm getting there, guys. And I'm joined from the East Coast by Robert and Weldon Johnson, the co-founders of Let's Run.com. And my boss says, gentlemen, good evening to you. Good evening, Jonathan. Looks like you're in an actual home, not a hotel. Is that one of Zach Wilson's mom's houses or... It's uh, something called an Airbnb, Robert. I think you, you might have heard of it. There was a pretty prominent runner, Chris Lukasik, was involved in the company, so may have heard of it. Have you heard of something called an airplane? Most people don't drive. I mean, I know that airfare is quite high now, but I assume gas prices are 
you know, I haven't really been worrying about gas prices too much because Let's Run.com is covering that. I saw Weldon started a thread and someone was like, what, are the Brojo's too cheap to fly him to Eugene? And I'm like, no, they definitely would have flown me. I flew to Eugene twice already this year, but, you know, you guys, I, I wanted to do this. I wanted to drive across the country. I'd never done it. And I was like, hey, are you guys okay covering my gas? And Weldon said yes. So don't worry. I'm being taken care of, guys. Thank you. Appreciate the, the gas money. Yes, John has a Let's Run credit card. He's in Utah. His itinerary is on the website. So if you want some free drinks the next couple nights, you better figure out where he is and hit him up. They drink They drink alcohol in Utah? Oh, good point, John. Let's cut the bullshit. Let's cut the bullshit. We can talk about worlds. We're going to preview worlds. We got the Mo Traffica, Mo Farah trafficking story, which is, I don't know, horrific and cool at the same time. Can I say that? I'm, uh, those maybe aren't cool. right words. It's bizarre, horrific, but no, well, I just have so much respect for Mo, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Even yeah. though I already did. Uh, that part is cool. How much he's overcome, but. Cue the breaking news, breaking news mu music. Robert, get the sound, the sound effect. This is like not one of your fake breaking news sirens that you play when something happens two weeks ago. We've got legitimate breaking news as we're recording the podcast. I got an email from the Athletics Integrity Unit media account. And when that happens, it's usually not good for someone in the sport. And headline, all capital. All right, Robert, do we have the sound effect here? So right before we went on air, John said that he had a doping positive. Well, I do not know who the positive is. And we're going to react to it live. I mean, it's a good thing John checked his email. What if we, I mean, this literally came like the minute before we started recording. What if we recorded the whole damn show and then we check our email afterwards? All right, there we go. All caps headline. Wait, before you say it, I, I'm trying to think what would be most devastating to the sport, right? Well, I think if it was, it, well, Mainstream America, like Allison Felix, would be a big hit. That didn't happen. I think John would have reacted differently if it was Jacques Benga Brinson. <sighs> who, well, who would most who would most devastate you? I'm trying to think. I'm, I'm not thinking of the obvious people that would really. Oh, if it was like Grant Fisher or something like that. Whoa. The greatest distance American distance runner of all time, right, Grant Fisher? No, all right. For a me or the sport, like, you know, if a thing Mo went down, I'd be so shocked. But she's not known at large yet. So the good thing with the mainstream public is no one's going to know who this person is. But I think it's a big name because John's like, holy crap. Here it is, John. Okay. Nigel Amos of Botswana provisionally suspended after testing positive. Now, a little, little context here. I don't want to totally freak out about this because I've never even heard of the substance he tested positive for. Said, here's the release. He was uh, he tested positive for metabolites of GW1516, a substance that is prohibited under the water prohibited list as a metabolic modulator. Substances in this category modify how the body metabolizes fat, and GW1516 was originally synthesized and evaluated for the treatment of obesity diabetes, and other disorders caused by metabolic problems. It's not approved substance for human use. Water has advised of its health risks. 
for athletes. It's a non-specified substance. Provisional su- suspension is mandatory. And the positive test came on June 4th. Now, the AIU only learned about it today. Amos was scheduled to compete in the 800 at Worlds. He was told of the suspension today, Tuesday, and now he's ineligible to compete. So that's what we know at the moment. Well, it's not the biggest name. I don't know what this substance is. Probably already thread on this and let's run. We should start reading. But it just sort of sucks. But, like, I assume our audience knows Nigel Amos, who as a... Let me get my math here. 18-year-old, the 2012 Olympics, ran 141.73. One of the greatest talents in the history of the sport, 800 meters. I don't think he's still being when he's 18. So I don't know what this means, but I hope it's some sort of mistake. Well, while this is personally a bummer for me, because I kind of have been an Amos fan over the years. I mean, 141.73 at 18. Fourth, no, actually tied for the third fastest man in history, same PR Sebco. But it's not in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't mean that much to me. But I was really kind of hoping he could. He's never medaled since that first Olympics. How is that possible? Someone that talented. I kind of like the story. This guy from Botswana. I mean, when else, what other track athletes do they have for there? He was into DJing, kind of was partying for a while, then moved to the U.S. And I was like, how do they not get it right with this guy? Worlds after worlds, and now he's testing positive. So could have been an innocent mistake. Could have been he went to the dark side late. It's kind of like Mary Slaney. Do I think Mary Slaney was doping when she was 16? No, I do not. Do I think she was doping at the end of her career? Yes, I do. Yeah, I could see something, that situation happening, Robert. I feel like when he came onto the scene, I mean, all right, look, he ran 141, which is ridiculously fast, but do I think he was doping when he was 18? Yeah, probably not. Do I know if he's doping now? I don't know. He hasn't said any, like, clearly he tested positive, but he also hasn't said anything or given any sort of explanation. So, I'm willing to at least hear what he has to say on this. But, yeah, would it shock me if he's getting older in his career, feels like he needs some help, took something? No, it wouldn't. I I didn't think he was going to be a factor in the 800 anyway because he has a poor history, as we said, after London 2012. And usually that's with at least running one super fast race. He'll drop a 142 or a 143 at some point in the season. He has not even done that this year. His season's best is 144.92, which is only good for fifth in Estrava. So I wasn't considering him as a factor in the 800 anyway, and now he won't be in there. The other angle of the story is Amos in name is with the Oregon Track Club. So here we are in the big Eugene world. A member of the home track club has just tested positive. But that track club's pretty much, well, Mark Rowland, the head coach, is already announced he's leaving to take a job with Athletics Canada. There's really no one of substance, not many people of substance left in that group. And Amos, I thought most of this year had been in Africa. So I'm, I don't think it really means anything for the OTC. It's just not good optics. And we had a breakaway here for a second because Robert just got a call from a British journalist asking about that angle, essentially. And John Shaw to admit, I had no idea Mark Rowland was an Olympic bronze medalist. For the record, Mark Rowland, he's not just the OTC coach. He's the sole Olympics 3,000-meter bronze medalist. It shows how, well, myopic some of us are about our own country, because I would for sure know <laughs> if he was an American, he medaled. 
Yeah, I knew that. Of course you did. Not a big deal for us, but it's kind of a big deal for the British journalist. He wanted to know if I, Robert Johnson, was on the board of the OTC. He said, oh, it doesn't look good. He said, oh, good to hear you, Robert. It's not you involved. Not, not good to have a home positive. You know, they love to stir the pot a little bit. So I, so that's good, folks. We know that there's a journalist already in Eugene. Yeah, you what? You were thinking people weren't going to show up? The Brits, they'll, they'll be out there for sure. Uh, they, they, were, they were in Belgrade. They're in Doha. They, they always come to these things. All right. We will preview Worlds in great detail later in the show, but I think we should start with a couple of the news items and then we close with the Worlds preview. I think we need to talk about Jerry Schumacher taking the head coach at the university, taking the head job at the University of Oregon. This is a this was a rumor for the last month, basically. Like since NCAA's, that was when it kind of became apparent that Robert Johnson was not going to have his contract renewed at the University of Oregon. Then the rumors are flying. Who's going to take the the job? Jerry's name is out there for that. He's the the biggest name by far that's mentioned for this. Well- John acts like this is a widespread rumor. I'm wondering if I'm the one that spread this. I got it from an inside source saying Jerry would be the coach of Oregon. I posted on our subscribers only forum, the supporters club forum. And then what happens three weeks later, he's the coach. So I assume a lot of people signed up. Wait, wait, wait. This is revisionist history though, because a week before that you post that Dave Smith's going to be the new coach. And then you're like, Oh, actually, no, it's not Dave Smith. Uh, sorry, I was wrong no. about that. It's Jerry. My source is never wrong. Briefly said Dave Smith. I said, that doesn't make sense to me. Within two hours of putting that up, I said, just Dave's got young kids. I don't think, why would he want the hassle of Oregon? I don't think that's going to happen. Then I put Jerry. Then I did talk to someone fairly close to the BTC. They said it wasn't going to happen, but hey, looks like he's changed his mind. My source that's never wrong, although he was wrong on Dave Smith, knew that Jerry was going to take this job before Jerry even took the job. But Let's talk big picture. I know there's some people on the message board, even supporting club members, that do not like Jerry. They don't like the BTC. One person test positive, tarnished forever. So is Mark Rowland tarnished forever since Nigel Amos has tested positive? I mean, I don't know. I don't agree with that. But for me, I am happy about this. First of all, I like Jerry. I hung out with him in a Mondor. I'm not like I'm good friends with him, but he's like friendly enough and seems... Obviously, super talented, super successful. Um, some people don't like how he stood behind Shelby Houlihan. I like it. He doesn't run a doping program. I don't think the whole group's dirty. Someone tests positive. He thinks she's innocent. She may not be. But if someone you're close to says, I didn't do this, what are you supposed to say? Oh, I know you did it. So anyways, just ignoring that aspect, he's a very good distance coach. I think it's Phil Knight may have wanted a distance coach to be running the show there. I think it makes more sense to have a distance coach at Oregon. That's kind of what their Steve Prefontaine was known for. So that's good. On the negative front, it's a little bit surprising because there's more than just winning in Oregon. Robert Johnson, my namesake, won 14 national titles in 10 years and was just fired. Um, Jerry Schumacher's, this is the interesting thing, mentor, Martin Smith, his coach, his college coach, went out to Oregon, was kind of successful, got pushed out of town because he didn't want to promote Tracktown USA, do the meet with the locals, do the press thing. Jerry hardly ever talks to the press on the record. You know, will he meet with the press? 
that type of thing. So that's one of the questions I put on the message board today. Look, guys, there's not that much press left. And when Jerry does talk, he's pretty engaging, kind of funny. I think he's smart enough now to know what he needs to do at Oregon. So, yeah, look at current, look at Robert Johnson. He's the current coach. Was Robert Johnson out there talking to the media every time? Like, was I ever, well, I didn't put in many requests for him, but when I've requested the Oregon staff, I usually don't get an interview with them. I, uh, Robert Johnson does the media he's required to do, and he works just fine. I'm sure Jerry, if you put him in front of a microphone and say, hey, you got to do, you know, you got to talk to the media once a month at a press conference or something like that, he can manage that. He'll do perfectly fine. I think a lot of people are sort of curious about this, though. We've talked on the podcast, the pro coach lifestyle is a lot better than the college coach lifestyle. College coach, you have to work way more weekends. You're constantly recruiting because you have to replenish your roster. You know, pro coaches, it, I'm not saying that they don't work hard, but like college coaching is a grind, man. Say, why would Jerry take this job when he's already got the Bauman Track Club set up? To me, I would say his, look, his kids are grown at this point. So he has sort of the freedom to move to Eugene if he needs to, or he can even stay to Portland. I don't know. They probably wouldn't like him staying in Portland. I assume he's going to move to Eugene for this. But, well, I'm just I'm just saying, but that will give him a little bit more time to get engaged with coaching a lot of kids. You know, th- I don't think coach, coaching a college team would have worked if he was if this was five years ago. But now he has a little bit more freedom. He likes coaching, all right? He likes coaching distance runners. He's going to be able to coach a lot of them at Oregon. And I'm guessing that, you know, a lot of the recruiting stuff People, a lot of people still want to come and run for Jerry and he'll have an assistant to help out with recruiting. It's not like he's going to have to spend 20 hours a week doing that sort of thing. I think he's just got a little bit more flexibility now. And he gets to coach cross-country team, which is pretty cool and which Oregon, let's face it, the women have won two national titles with Marisa Powell, but the men haven't really been contending for a title since maybe 2008, their last title with Vin. So... Or was that Andy Powell? I think it was, that was still Van at that point. I, that, that that I'm sure is appealing. Coaching a cross country team, trying to win a big win the big one at Oregon, that would be a pretty big deal. Look, as someone who got out of college coaching in large part because they wanted to have a family and didn't want to be coaching with young kids, the timing makes sense. His, most of his kids are in college or out of college. He's got one kid that's like a junior in high school. So, look, I've been told everyone, including the pro runners, will be moving to Eugene. Everyone's not totally thrilled about that because the weather in Eugene sucks. It's not like they have an indoor facility. Nike's got so much money. Why don't they put a, 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 a dome over the over the Hayward in, in the winter or when it's raining? But, um, you know, they'll be moving down there. Maybe he'll be commuting for the first year or so. But, yeah, he's going to be a lot busier, John. But the kids are grown. So, you know, I was talking to someone today, and it's like, look, He's going to have no off season. Like now the track season ends in one August and then September, like he's just off and the BTC team doesn't even meet. They just take off. He's never going to have that off now because think about it. You know, you have cross cut, the, the worlds will end in August. World champ, then you're right in the heat of the cross country season. And then the really only break might be December. And then you go to indoors for both the college and the pros. Then the pros go to altitude while the college season's heating up. And then you have the college season, then the U S season, then the pro season. You know, it's going to be busy, but, you know, I, I imagine he's going to be someone that's delegating a lot in terms of ops stuff. He really just wants to focus on the coaching. I've been told that, but 
there's more to it. You know, he's not dumb. Like he's going to be nonstop busy. Like how many years will he handle this for? 10, 20, you know, I have no idea, but I think the cop 20, the, he's not going to be coaching that till he's 71. Robert. I'm saying, I doubt it's that long, but because yeah, it's, it is very time intensive, but, um, he's going to be working a lot harder than he was, but you know, if you're excited by the challenge, it's fun. Well, yeah, and I think, look, he had this arrangement before his last couple of years in Madison, right? Like, he was coaching Matt Tagenkamp and a couple post-collegiates while he was still Wisconsin coach, or was he was the first two years when he was... I think that, that that was going on, right? They were based in Madison for a couple of years. And my my guess is about Bauman Track Club and how this affects them. I'm going to guess that they're going to keep the roster a little smaller than it was in recent years. We saw a lot of women leave in the last year. And I don't think that they're going to try to replace all of them. He might just tighten the roster a little bit, but let's also like for them. Okay. You are moving from Portland to Eugene. So that is a bit of an adjustment, but how much time were these guys spending in Eugene to be in Portland to begin with? They're always at altitude camps. And then over the summer, they're at more altitude camps or they're racing in Europe. I'm not trying to say like, Oh, you know, this isn't a major, major adjustment, but like, you listen to these athletes, they're like, yeah, I barely get to go to my house in Portland from like, you know, January through August, basically. So I, in terms of lifestyle adjustment for them, I don't think it's going to be a huge one. I'd much rather live in Portland from mid twenties. Hey, maybe it's good. They won't have a dating life in Eugene, the all undergrads. But I think the biggest thing the jury's going to have to get used to is at Wisconsin, he was not the head coach. He was not the director of the track and field program. He was just the distance coach. So now he's got to manage the staff you know, and whatnot. But I, I've heard that one thing that's interesting now that's changed since when I was in college is the big schools have so much money because you can now give like, you're only supposed to have like what, 12 scholarships for the men, 18 scholarships for the women, but you can now give like $6,000 to everybody for food if they're an athlete and stuff like that. That one college coach estimated that a men's team, if you're fully funded and giving them all the, the bells and whistles and the money, you actually have close to like 20, over 20 scholarships. The women are over 30 scholarships because you can add in academic money, blah, 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 and you, which you couldn't used to do. So it does make it easier to get in the town. People are going to be interested in Oregon. And I guess we don't know till it happens if this is going to work. He's never been a head track and field college coach, but he's one of the best pro coaches in America. It, granted, that is different than being the head Oregon track coach, but I think he'll be successful. And I think this works out well for a couple other angles, right? The OTC is kind of fizzing out. Essentially, can the Bowerman Track Club, will that just replace the OTC? Have one pro group in Eugene. Now everything's sort of consolidated. They got this great stadium. What's the point? And also, if Phil Knight, his legacy, right? We've talked about that. Why does Phil Knight's legacy need to be in Portland? Maybe he'll just endow something down in Eugene. And then the other angle, the personal one, I forgot that Jerry Schumacher's mentor was Martin Smith, who was run out of town in Eugene. So I don't know if he just if he's learned from that and wants to prove, you know, hey, here's how you make this work. This is a great opportunity. I've learned from Martin. I want to make it work. Sort of, I don't know, you can't really call it redemption, but there's so many interesting angles to this. Yeah. I don't know how he'll do as a coach of the overall track program. That's the question is like, how much is he going to invest into the time it takes to 
develop the entire team? Is he just going to hire some someone to help him deal with that? I mean, I would say, first of all, make sure you retain Curtis Taylor because he's the sprint coach at Oregon. He's been fantastic for the last decade or so that he's worked there. But in terms of cross-country, like distance success, I have no doubt that Jerry's teams will be very strong. They were terrific at Wisconsin, and I would say it's probably easier to recruit to Oregon than it is to Wisconsin. Maybe, you know, Wisconsin did have a legacy of success, but they don't have all the bells and whistles. What, do you disagree with that point? No, of course now. Nike, Phil Knight, NIL deals. I mean, Nike, Phil Knight could just do 100% NIL, I assume, and buy the whole team if he wanted to. I mean, yeah. we haven't even mentioned you, that. you got to remember how good Jerry was as a cross-country coach at Wisconsin. Every, from 2002 to 2006, every single year, they finished in the top two at NCAAs. Now, they only won one title, and I think you look at the people on their team, they probably should have won a couple more. But finishing top two five years in a row in NCAA cross is incredibly difficult. So I do think they'll they'll have a strong distance team. Wait, John, sorry, I had to step out for a minute. My son wanted to go to bed and had to come back. Did you just say how good Jerry Schumacher was as a Wisconsin cross country coach? I must have misheard you. I love Jerry. I'm a Jerry, I'm one of Jerry's boys, but the 2004 team was a dream team. They had Matt Degenkamp, Chris Selensky. Simon Byru, and they just choked it up. That's one of the greatest choke jobs in the history of NCAA. So, hey, now they were good, but they, you know, whatever. So I, I kind of miss what you guys have been talking about. But one criticism of this thing was someone's on the, this bitter D1 coach that was talking about on the message board, like, this is a terrible hire. He can't do it, manage the whole team, and he's going to be, his time's not going to work. He can't coach the pros in the college. I was like, doesn't Mike Holloway coach a lot of pro sprinters? Isn't he coaching Arian Knighton on the side? He's doing pretty damn well at Florida. Didn't Mark Wetmore? Doesn't he coach? Hasn't he coached Jenny Simpson her whole career? Oh, let's wait, John. I, I, my memory's not as good as yours. Who's who's got the best cross country team right now? Men's cross country team. Guy by the name of Mike Smith in Flagstaff. Does he coach any pros? Oh yeah, some some guy named Rupp. Uh, he coaches his wife, who happens to be an Olympian. Yeah, he he seems to be doing okay. Oh, but Rojo, that's only a couple athletes. Like, it doesn't take that much longer to write up a training plan for 10 athletes as it does for two, particularly if one's female, one's male. So I'm sure he'll be successful. All right. Well, I just think this is an intriguing hire overall. I'm fascinated to see how this all goes to see if Jerry's going to speak to the media more. I always thought there was a rivalry between the Oregon and Wisconsin guys. Like, I thought... You know, Jerry being a Wisconsin guy, he had a bunch of Wisconsin guys on the BTC. And I know they do have an Oregon guy there in Matthew Centrowitz, but I always thought they kind of relished beating the Oregon guys. So now to see him become an Oregon guy, I think it's fascinating. Like what I'd really love to see a couple of years from now is Oregon and Wisconsin. Like, but you know, this is no disrespect to all the other co- great college teams and coaches out there, but how awesome would it be to see like Oregon, Wisconsin, they're like one, two in the country and they're battling it out and it's of like cross. And Jerry's new team has to be his old team. That to me is a, would be a crazy storyline. That wouldn't do it for me. I want to see Jerry Schumacher battle Dave Smith, Oklahoma State. They're former college rivals. They're friends. Wait, talk one thing about recruiting here. You guys see the Bill Bowman quote in this Oregonian profile? 
He didn't even recruit athletes for his teams. He didn't believe in it. Everybody knows about the University of Oregon, Bill Bowerman said. If some kid wants to come here, all he has to do is write a letter. If he doesn't want to write, he can't be very interested. I don't think that type of hands-off approach will work in the year 2022. Some of these athletes want to kiss their, you to kiss their butt a little bit. Now, you don't want the athlete that really wants their butt to be kissed too much. It's not worth it. But Oregon, I, I do think that the concept still applies. The name Oregon attracts a lot of kids without even lifting up a finger. Definitely. And the, the one final thing I will say about this regarding the future of OTC, I think it would make sense to just sort of you focus your energies on Bauman, then now the Eugene-based group, then you've got Union in Portland. The only thing is you've got Cooper and Cole Hawker, two of America's best distance talents, currently based in Eugene. And you've got Ben Thomas, who is currently the Oregon men's distance coach. Probably won't be once Jerry takes over. So I guess the question is, does Ben just take over a different college job and Cooper and Cole follow him to that town? They can kind of have Ben Thomas elite. Or do they just all stay in Eugene? Ben Thomas becomes head coach of Oregon Track Club Elite. They can get a few other athletes. But now they've got two guys to build a, a group around and a great middle distance coach. I don't think this has happened. But if I was Jerry, I'd keep Ben Thomas. If you want to limit the number of athletes you're coaching, you keep one of the best middle distance coaches in the country, let him handle the middle distance. You can handle the long distance. And I don't think that's the worst idea. I mean, you got to make sure that you, they kind of deal with each other's egos and everything, but I I kind of think that I guess you got to determine also the scholarships, how many you're going to go for more mid-distance guys, you're going to go for more true cross guys, but that's an intriguing idea. I mean, is Selene Flanagan going to want to live in Eugene? Maybe her and Pascal take even a more of a role of coaching. Jerry's sort of supervisory. But I don't know. Does she really want to? She's got a young kid. Does she want to move to Eugene? Maybe. All right, guys. So I think we need to move on here. We need to get to the world preview at some point. Shall we touch briefly on this story about Mo Farah? He revealed to the BBC that he was trafficked. As a young child, originally, you know, he said that he had come over with, I think it was his father or his mother on a plane to the United Kingdom as an immigrant. Now it comes out. No, he assumed someone else's identity, essentially. I didn't, I've been on the road all week. I haven't really read the entire story. So I don't know if you guys want to give better, better background, but pretty horrific revelation of what he's, you know, because this is not what he said. He's written an autobiography, you know, he's told his life story many times. And, He's now just saying, you know, this was a tough memory for him to disclose. And obviously, if this happened, I can I can understand why you don't want to revisit it if it's a scarring experience from his youth. But pr- pretty, uh, I mean, I don't know, pretty pretty sad story, I would say. I agree, but what Walden was trying to say at the beginning, it's sad but uplifting in the same way because to come over to a country at nine years of age without your parents. And then to be expected to be a domestic help and like help raise the kids and not go to school. Like to not go to school, that's pretty sick. And then but now he's fabulously wealthy, fabulously famous. And I, this wouldn't have happened if he hadn't moved to the UK. So this is why we have in America and countries like the UK, I don't think they have the same problem like with quote unquote illegal immigration. People, it's almost better, it is better 
in the end, if you can put up with it, to start off as a servant illegally, almost a modern-day slave than it is to stay in his home country. So I'm not saying it's uh, that's good. I'm just saying that's the, the reality. And I can see why you would want to tell people about it. So it's just, I, I was like, I, there was a message board thread about this and the couple were like, well, he get his citizenship revoked. Oh, maybe he should. And this, someone's like, some British guy's like, and then the records will go back to where they belong. I'm like, that's the most disgusting message board post I've read on the internet, period. Couldn't believe that. I'm like, you're sort of, might think that a kid, that this guy's citizenship should be revoked because he put the wrong name down? No. But I think there's more to come out to the story. Like, be interesting to me. Did the family know that this was going to happen to them and they still sent him? You know, like, okay, take my son. We'll let him work for you for three years. Sounded like not. Um, it sounds like they have the name of the person who brought him over and they made him work for her. Why isn't she arrested? Yeah, I think more to come on this story, most likely. But wild story, wild story. All right, let's get to Worlds. Do we really need to talk about Drew Hunter's 354 mile win? I, I'm shocked this was even in the rundown. Am I supposed to care about that? Like, he ran 353. Seven in high school. I mean, good, good for him to get the win, I guess. But this is—it's time to talk about the big boys, and the big boys are all at Worlds. So, Robert, I don't. What do you think is the best way to do this? I think we need to talk about the distance races. You know, we talked about there are some great sprint races going on, and we will look. We're going to have previews and recaps every day, starting on Friday, first day of World Championships in Eugene. We're going to have boots on the ground. I'll be there with Robert. Then I'll be there with Weldon. And we're going to break down all the action every night. But it's only available if you're a member of the Let's Run.com Supporters Club. So if you want those podcasts, you got to join the Supporters Club. Or you got to tune in live. If we, we might broadcast these live pretty na- late night on the West Coast, maybe 10 p.m., 11 p.m. Pacific time. But if you want them in your feed when you wake up the next morning, getting your coffee, going for your run, your morning commute, you want to know everything that happened and all our takes on it, letsrun.com slash subscribe. Join the supporters club. You get a t-shirt. You get discounts on shoes. You get the best analysis in the world of track and field. And you're going to get a ton of content. This is the time to do it, people, because it's the world championships. We're going to have a podcast every day for 10 days in a row. Sign up now if you haven't already. Yeah. And if you don't want to make a year commitment, you can sign up for the month. But... It was a lot of fun doing it in, in Tokyo, John. In Tokyo, though, it was easier to do because we weren't allowed to do anything except from walk from our hotel to the stadium and back. We could, if we if we wanted to go to the Seven Eleven, we only had to go for fifteen minutes. But in Eugene, people like to go to be seen and get the gossip on the street. So I think I'm too old to do that. So I'm just going to do stadium podcast, stadium podcast. And when I'm there, there's morning sessions. Well, I think it's this cushy second half. Are there any? Morning sessions on the second app? There's fewer towards the end of the meet because there's just fewer need preliminary rounds. Most of the events are finals. But yeah, Robert, normally I do like to hit up the Wild Duck or you know a place in Trattown Pizza after these meets when I'm in Eugene. But World Championships are different. When we're at the Worlds of the Olympics, the nights are just so long and you really, with the morning sessions, it's really hard to fit in a bar crawl or something that night. So I think might have to save that for either the very first night or the very lot, you know, the night before the meet starts or the 
day after the meet, you know, the final night of the meet. Those are really the times to go crazy. So shall we just go ascending order of distance or is there a particular event you'd like to start with here, Robert? I think I'd like to start with themes. I mean, you wrote an article about your 10 biggest things, events that you're most looking forward to at Worlds. I was trying to think about this because I didn't, you know, I, I hadn't come up with a detailed show prep in terms of like topics or how we were going to go in order. But you said the big boys, which was kind of sexist. I wish you had said big boys and big girls because there's men's and women's storylines. But for the men, there's two key things I'm looking forward to. One, will we find out slash who is the best distance men's distance runner on the planet, which would imply also the best distance runner on the planet because the best men's distance runner is going to be better than the best women's distance runner. Um, and that's interesting to me in the sense of, I mean, we had Halle Gabasolesi, then Kenny Sibikele, then Mo Farah, there's kind of no doubt on the track. And I keep choking in the marathon right now. But on the track, the last three global outdoor championships, we've had a split winner in the five and the 10. You know, Mukhtar Edras won the five two times, but we had different 10,000 meters. I think it was Farah, Cheptegei, then Borrega wins the 10 in, in Tokyo, and Cheptegei wins the five. So, the 10K is one of the first finals. Men's 10K it is the first final, right? And on Sunday, which of these people is going to win it? And then are they going to pull off the double? We didn't get the chance for the double in Tokyo because Brega didn't run the five. So Brega wins the 10. He drops down and wins the five. I think he's numero uno. Now, Cheptegei is also interesting in the sense of if Cheptegei had just won the Olympic 10,000, there'd be no doubt that he was the heavy favorite of the world. Think about it. He would be the world record holder at the 5,000 and 10,000. He would be the world cross-country champion, reigning world cross-country champion. He would be the double Olympic champion. We'd be like, of course he's going to win this race. But he slips up, and he was closing the best over the last 100 in that race. Now, but there's doubt, you know. He apparently was in good shape at Eugene because he was going to go for the world record, but he only, only runs 12.57. But that's his only race of the year. Does that mean he's hurt? So this men's 10 to me is going to be really good. I think either one of those guys could win both of those events. Berhu Aragawi, you guys remember what he did at pre-1250, winning by 15 seconds, stopping Brega in that race. I could see him winning both events. I've got some doubt is maybe he's not as good at the 10 as he is at the 5. Maybe he doesn't win any. And then you've got Grant Fisher in there. I had a crazy thought when I was working on the men's 10,000 preview today. I thought, oh my God, could Grant win it and could Grant win both? I know you guys think I'm crazy. But I was going through this scenario. I was like, these guys are total studs. And you got Jacob Kaplima, the World Half Marathon record holder. But like what I said in this preview, by the way, John, you need to read it tonight so we can put it up, is we know for a fact one of the following people will not medal in the men's 10,000. Either the 5 and 10K world record holder, either the half marathon world record holder, either the defending champion or a guy who won the pre-classic 5,000 by 15 seconds and ran 1250 solo. One of those people is not even going to medal. And then I was debating, I was like, well, I was starting like trying to poke holes in their CVs. And I'm like, well, okay. Chapter guy has only raced once. Maybe he's been hurt. Brega, he hasn't raced. He ran, he won pre. I mean, our guy won pre. Um, 
Aragami won pre, but he got beat by Borrega at the K- at the Ethiopian 10K trials. Only third there hasn't raced since. Borrega, I think it's going to show up. It'd be hard for that's going to be hard. He's been racing a lot. He's going to be hard for Fisher to beat. Period. Borrega's going to be hard for everyone to beat. Yeah. I mean, that dude's kick. I think when he's on, he's got a better kick than Chepta guy. Chepta guy. I mean, Chepta guy is really really strong. And we did get an update from his coach, Addy Royder. I asked him, I said, why hasn't he raced this year? And he said a couple reasons. One, he doesn't really need races to get in shape. You know, remember in 2020, he hadn't really raced much, raced at all before that world record 5K in Monaco. He goes out and runs 1235. And then he also said, you know, they don't like racing a time before a major championship because of where he's based in in Uganda. He's in a town called Kapchorwa. So it takes them about a day to travel from Kapchorwa to the major airport in Uganda, which is Entebbe. And then you got to fly there from there to Europe, usually with a connection of some sort. So it's like a two-day trip to get to Europe, then two days coming back with the race in between. He's like, look, that's basically a week of training that you're costing yourself to go run one Diamond League race in Europe. And it's not worth it to them. They'd rather just stay back in Uganda and get fit. But he said he thinks his prep he's in better shape than he was before Tokyo because his pre- preparation there was disturbed by a bacterial infection. And remember, he still won the gold in the 5,000 and silver in the 10,000 in Tokyo. It's not like he wasn't fit last year. So suddenly there are some question marks. I think Borrega, Borrega can still beat Cheptegei at his best. Borrega's that good. But Cheptegei, I'm expecting some some pretty big things from him this weekend. And Weldon, you just came back to the show. I'm just going to tell you, Robert floated the possibility that Grant Fisher could win the 5K and the 10K. Double gold for Grant Fisher. He didn't predict it, but he at least suggested it as something that could happen. I thought I heard him, him say that when I sat back down. I rushed to the train station to pick up my wife. I thought, are they still talking? Are they going to be talking about Mo Farrar being traffic for 10 minutes? I'm like, God, you guys weren't. Although it's a very serious subject. That's absurd, Robert. Of course you started doing them, oh, a slow race. But no, no, he's not their level. This A guy who lost, wait, wait, this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. A guy who got outkicked by, um, I was about to say Woody Kincaid. That's not even who he lost to. Joe Klecker at USA's. No, no. Zero percent. I've talked myself out of it, but I was I was finding like these guys have a races, the results. And that's why I told John I said, John, please email the agent or the coach, see what's going on. Now that I've heard that about Chepta guy, because my men's ten thousand preview, written preview is done, but John was gonna edit it. That's changing everything. When I originally when I wrote it, when I analyzed it, I said I think the top five for the Olympics last year are this are the best five again this year. So that's Borrega, Chepta guy, Caplimo, Arigawi, Fisher. Then you had Mohamed sixth. So I, I like those five. They all seem, you know, Aragawi and Fisher have taken a step up, but they were three seconds back last year on the last lap. So, you know, they, they need to improve a lot. But I just, I was debating who to pick to win. And my thought process was, well, we don't know about Chepta guy. He's only raced once. And I just don't think Caplimo has only raced once too. Why would he beat them? Aragawi's been racing a lot and been running pretty well. So I said, I know he's in pretty good shape. 
So I'm just going to roll it back from last year. And I pick the same order. But I, now that I've heard that from John, I'm going to change it. Chapter guy first, Brega second. Because they didn't push the pace last year. Brega said he wanted it slow. Chapter guy wanted to push it. It was so hot. He's like, he didn't go with the rabbit. And it's kind of interesting to me. This is, I have this, and there's a line in there. Paradoxically, if it is hot, that actually might benefit someone who wants to push the pace. Just push it and grind it out. If the race is slower, it takes longer, so it's a longer race. So there's more time to break somebody. I just think distance runners don't feel comfortable to that because they're not used to doing it. They're not used to killing themselves in hot weather. So um, I'm looking at the weather. It's going to be probably 73, 74 on Sunday. The question is, is it going to be sunny or is it going to be cloudy? Because it's getting sunnier as the day goes on. If it's sunny, that's not exactly cool. But the dew point is going to be about 20 degrees cooler than it was in Tokyo. It's like 80 and 80% humidity in Tokyo. Here, the dew point is going to be like 74 and a much lower humidity. So I think they can push it enough. I think Cheptegei can put the herd in Borrega. Uh, I'm, I'm going to switch my pick, I guess, now to Cheptegei. Yeah, but Ber- I mean, Borrega, how fast do you think they're going to make it? I mean, he won the Ethiopian trials last year. He won them in 2649. This year, he won them in 2644. And he's kicking pretty... like. He's still close, I think, in 52 or 53 last year at the Ethiopian trials in the sub-2650 race. You'd have to go pretty darn fast to drop that guy. Yeah, but you don't necessarily have to break him. You just have to just hurt him enough so that his kick doesn't beat you at the end. All right, Robert. Well, that was the 10K. I, I do think there's one thing you're missing, though, here from your theory about crowning the greatest distance runner in the world, and that's most of those guys, Kiblimo is not, but the other guys are coming back for the 5K. And guess who they get to face there? Jakob Ingebrigtsen, who is favored to win the 1500. But, you know, we'll see what happens there. I don't know if we want to preview the 5K now. We wait till next week once we've seen the 1500 and 10K. But that race is going to be phenomenal because you've got Ingebrigtsen, who's the Olympic 1500 champ, Cheptegei, the Olympic 5K champ, and Borrega, the Olympic 10K champ. And hey, we might have a new guy who's a world 10K champ in that race as well. John, I guess you're reading my mind. I don't want to preview the five now, but my other big storyline on the men's side I want to watch is just the Jacob Ingerbritson show. Watch him go to try to repeat in the 1500 and then move up to the five and then the clash down with whoever won the 10. Oh my God, that's going to be epic. Assuming he wins the 15. Now I read you while you were on the road today, I read your 1500 meter preview. You put it up. I mean, I put it up and it's pretty interesting. John's got some really good stats in there. If you haven't read, the article yet you had a stat in there john looking back at the last four global outdoor championships and basically every time someone's kind of tried to take it from the front and go pretty fast and just win it by running out running everybody and it's only worked one time and it's the one that we remember the olympics last year but a 25 no success no it's ratio. not it's the world championships for 2019 it did not work in the Olympics last year because Timothy Chariot was the guy who tried to lead it and he got out kicked by Jakob Ingebrigtsen. Oh, right. Sorry. Yeah. And, but, and then you have this analysis of like how to win this race. Why, why was Chariot able to do it in 2019? And, and you're just like, because he was way better than everybody that year. You know, he was like two seconds faster than everyone else in the field. And that's why he was able to win it. And, Ingebrigtsen is not two seconds better than everybody this year. He's only like one second. Is that enough? And I was reading this, John, and John Kellogg was in the room. 
And John Kellogg's always tell me about how much drafting works and how much it helps. And the way he thinks about it is like if John ran a race in a pack versus running, like if you ran a mile in a pack where you're perfectly rabbited the whole way, you know, let's say you're finishing third versus if you went out and just ran a mile time trial, he's like, look, it's at least a second a lap slower running on your own. He thinks the drafting is worth five seconds. Now, the difference is that when you're often drafting, you're often in the back of the pack, you're running more distance though. But just like if you can run a four flat mile, perfectly rabbited, you're going to go out and run by yourself. You're going to run 405. So that would imply you almost need to be five seconds better, but not really because the guys behind you, if you're in the front and you're having to work in, if you're a second slower per lap, the guys behind you are running extra distance, et cetera. But when he was telling me this, I said, well, John, then how do you explain some of these times? They've still run 329 from the front, right? Is that what he wanted in, John? 2019? Yes. Timothy Chariot. I said, that doesn't make any sense. And John said, oh, yeah, it does. I said, well, what do you mean? Five seconds? we got to take away five seconds if he's rabbited. That would be 324. John didn't even blink. He's like, yeah. Well, John's wrong. He said, I think with the new shoes and a rabbit the whole way, these guys could run 322. <laughs> Wait, what? Wait, correct me if I'm wrong. The record's 32600? Yeah. Okay. And it was set 23 years ago, 24 years ago, and hasn't... <laughs> like The only guy who's run that close, there's been two guys who've run that close, like 326 since then. And one of them was popped for EPO. Right. And no one has come close with the new shoes, which is the weird thing, because if the... I saw people discussing on the, I think it was some high school thing or something, but there's no proof the shoes make a difference. And yeah, why aren't these guys running faster? They're only running 329, 328. How, how does John explain that? I don't know. This is the first time I pushed him on this. And he just said, he thinks like, he, I said, how could Jakob have run? Because Jakob ran 328 last year and he had to lead the first lap and he had to read the, lead the last, well, I guess only the last 120, right? Yeah. So that would be, let's say, if it's one, if it's second allowed, it's one point five. So that would be three twenty-seven if he had had to lead any of it. But he's like, well, Garouche didn't have, you know, didn't have the rabbit the whole way. He had only El Garouche only had the rabbit for what thousand, twelve hundred. But he he says, yeah, I think these guys could run faster if they like a Kipchoge type thing where you have pacers the whole way. He's saying certainly three twenty-five or faster. So it was interesting, but this got me nervous, and I've been worried about this the whole time. You know, what should Ingebrigtsen do? I think he's going to try to take it. If I'm him, I just don't try. He tried to do it at World Indoors, and we had the excuse of, oh, COVID cost him. But I'm just not convinced that he's... I don't know, John. You think he should just turn it into a time file from the start? John Kellogg and I were debating it and saying, get to the front and make it a little bit slower and just squeeze it down. The guys behind you, it's like the Matthew Centrowitz. Yes, Centrowitz won the whole Olympics. It's hard to be in the front, but if you're in the front, everyone behind you is running X way extra distance. They're battling it out. They're wasting energy. They're nervous. They're trying to not step on each other, et cetera. And John's like, look, his 800 PB is not that good, but even if it's 62 for the first two 400s, John's like, I think he can run 147 for the last 800. He's like, that might not be enough to win it, but it, it's going to be hard to beat if the guys are behind him. I think that's what I would do. I think you let someone else take the first lap, 
ideally it's going to be like a 60 or something. It's not you're jogging and you're running a 70, but don't try to go and run the entire 1500 meters in the front, but somewhere from a thousand to go to 800 to go, go to the front and squeeze it down because how does Jakob win these diamond leagues? It's not with some monster kick on the last lap. He's not closing in like 51 and I, but he, he, what he does do is he does a really fast penultimate lap. And by that point, you only need to close in about 54 or 55 because most of the other guys are still hurting. So you want to get to the bell. You want to make sure those guys are hurting. You don't want to make sure that the big kickers have their big kick saved up. And I guess in this field, I'm not even sure who the big kickers would be. Like the way that Chariot has changed the Chariot and Ingebrigtsen, you know, they made this a front running event. We haven't seen a ton. Like I guess Samuel Tafera might be. He would be a big kicker, uh, but he also he might not even be in the final. He's the world indoor champion. He's the only guy to beat Ch- uh, Ingebrigtsen this year at a fifteen hundred a mile. But he's also made it to a global championship three times outdoors. He's never made it to the final. So huge question mark there. I guess Cheria is not known as a kicker. Ali Hor, Abel Kipsang. I think those are the other two guys. Those are the two guys most likely to challenge for the gold. I don't know if they have a reputation as someone who like slams at home on the last, you know, 51 lost lap. But and maybe Jakob can do that too. The truth is, like, we're saying, oh, he's not a huge kicker, but it's based on him getting out kicked in a couple races, World Juniors in 2018 when he was 17, and World Euro Indoors in 2019 when he was 18 years old. So I think the reason, maybe one of the reasons we haven't seen it is because he knows he's not a huge kicker and he doesn't want to get in that kind of race. But yeah, if I were him, I'd go from a thousand to 800 to go and try to ratchet it down. Okay. Wait, I just had an epiphany. The rest of these guys aren't that good except for Timothy Chariot. Timothy Chariot on his a game is, you know, one of the best ever. I think Jakob's out level. These other guys, what do you call them? Just sort of don't call them spares. Well, then do not call them spares. I can't say B teamers. They're they're good, but they're they're not they're not all time greats. Like they're just sort of like the guys who are good at their generation. It's like the fourth rate tennis player right now. I don't know who the hell that is. It's it's not Federer. It's not Djokovic. You know. So I don't think Chariot's what he once was. I think if Jakob runs a smart race, he wins this thing. Could he lose? Yes. I think you're underrating Abel Kipsang. I think Kipsang is very good. And he was fourth at the Olympics last year. He's only third at World Indoors. But he ran 331 flat in Nairobi earlier this year. Then he won Diamond Leagues in Doha, in Birmingham. Got t- He was a little tired and got beat at pre. But he won the Kenyan Trials. He's the African championships winner this year okay yeah he hasn't got the global hardware yet to back it up but i think he he's a really really good runner it wouldn't shock me if he wins this race whoa wait a second i see a lot of first place here john hold on let me sort by date i just sorted by 1500 i saw his first place okay but okay i'm looking here I guess he's won pretty much everything this year, except for World Indoors, which is a big question mark, but he doesn't do a big indoor season. Pre-Classic, fourth place, what happened there? 
it was his fourth race in four continents in three weeks. The dude was just tired. That's a good excuse. It's also the biggest outdoor race of the year, though, John, except for the Olympics. It wasn't this year. I mean, the Islet games went faster. I mean, yes, the field was better at pre, but yeah, I don't, yeah. All right, I, I I do think that he's quite good, but is he past his peak? That's a fair concern. That is a fair concern. I really like the Chepta guy. I've always said, hey, if you get one of these African or African talents and give him like Western coaching, like Mo Farah. What happens? And they really just focus on a few events? Domination. So, Chapter Guy's doing that. That's why I'm moving my 10,000 pick to him. Keep saying, I don't know. I'm just fascinated. This is why the 1500 is such a good event because the tactics play a role. You know, Gert Ingebrigtsen's like, he'll never lose again. I'm like, I don't know, man. I do think the one thing that um, Jakob might have going for him. Well, Jakob, though, depending, let's see how, how his workout's going. I think he was just a little disappointed that he didn't set the European record in that mile in Oslo. And he was so confident indoors. Like, I'm just going to blow him away. I'm wondering now, is he going to still be as confident? He's young, though, so maybe he thinks I'm just going to do it. And he might lose that way. But I do think Timothy Chariot, I don't necessarily think he cares as much about winning or losing. He just wants to get a medal and do his best. I think for some reason, even though I would advise against it, he may just take it again. Like, it's, it, it's probably not his best way to win, but it certainly probably ensures that he medals. I don't think it ensures he medals. I could easily see, I think Kip Sang's better than him, and I think I could easily see Ollie Hoare writing him down for the bronze. John is so into Ollie Hoare, man. If Ollie Hoare doesn't medal, John, John had better apologize to this point. Wait, excuse me. Have you guys been paying attention to running? I feel like you just like oh 2021 results copy paste. Let's those who who are going to be you know Josh Kerr is not running that well this year either, guys. Like things change. Ollie Hoare is a lot better runner this year than he was last year, and he was pretty good last year. He just had a shitty Olympics. He didn't run well in the Olympic final, but he was still third in the Diamond League final. Now he's just run 3:47, finished second behind Jakob. He smoked Jake Whiteman, who's one of the best runners in the world in Oslo. And you guys are just a, you 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 got your head in your st- in the sand. I don't understand the Holly Horde, but like the Holly Horde disrespect here, it's massive. I was just wondering, Holly Horde's on the poll on the homepage. Josh Kerr not even on there. But granted, the other voting is only getting one percent. But John, Josh Kerr ran very well indoors. He ran one fast time trial, and look, I'm not saying, <laughs> look. He got beat by Ollie Hoare in the Milrose in the Wanamaker Mile. Uh, let's just let's put that out there as well. And he got beat by Ollie Hoare in Birmingham in the Diamond League this year. Now, I'm, look, Josh Kurt timed his peak very well for the championship last year, and maybe he hasn't shown his full cards, but he also barely even made the British team. It was only a few hundreds. He beat out Jake Haywood for that final spot. So you're telling me that guy who... Ba- Guy who barely made the British teams now going to go out and get the bronze medal at Worlds. I'm, I'm not seeing it. I I actually agree with you, John. I'm just, it is interesting how things change, right? But maybe that gets back to where I was last year. The rest of these guys aren't that good. Josh Kerr, great season. Oh man, he's so good. Okay, maybe maybe the Olympic bronze is his peak. It's pretty good to get Olympic bronze. Ollie Hoare, same thing. You know who's a three twenty six, three twenty seven, three twenty eight guy. That's what it's going to take to get the, the 
the top metal. You got to be that type of guy. I don't think Ollie Hoard's that type of guy. Um, so could Ollie Hoard get a bronze? Yes. Silver? Yes. Gold? No. Yeah, but if you have, here's the thing. I think Ollie. I apologize though. Right now, like I'm not saying he's going to win. I think Jakob still. I still picked Jakob, right? But I'm just saying if, if you Ollie Hoy hits your path to victory, Jakob takes it out. He makes it a 329 race. For Jakob, he's trying to run 329 from the front. Whereas we said, all right, it may not be worth a second a lap, but that's really hard to do. If Ollie Hoy is in 329 shape right now, which I think he is, and he just is able to sort of draft and then move by in the home straight. And you run 329 to win, and you've got a rabbit the whole way. Could I see that happening? I don't think it's out of the question, but Ollie got beat pretty bad. He wasn't, you know, he said his strategy in Oslo, I'm going to go past him with 300 to go. He wasn't strong enough to do that. You got to be strong enough to go with Jakob. And right now, I don't think he, he probably isn't. Uh, yeah, yeah. John, take it back. Could Ollie or win? Yes. His strategy to win, my apologies. Well, Alan Culpepper's back in the sport. This guy was sort of. We compete. We're the same era. I was fourth in nationals, and Cole Pepper was one of the places ahead of me. I'm not sure which one. He probably won or something. But my good buddy Paul Stoneham is huge friends with Cole Pepper, and I was like, dude, Cole Pepper, man, the guy. He just sort of like, you know, he doesn't run to win. He comes from behind, picks off some people at the end usually. That's all a horse strategy to win. He should not go with Cole Pepper. I mean, excuse me, go with Cole Pepper. Go with Ingebrigtsen. If he wants to win this thing, hang back, right? And hope for a little blow up. He needs to shoot for third and hope he gets first. I honestly think that's his way to do it. If he if he goes out there, assuming the pace is sort of crazy, if it's very fast, like a 328 from the, like, or if Ingebrigtsen's just like blasting it from like a thousand out, uh-uh, hold back, wait, 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 kick the last 300. I wouldn't rule it out, John, the more I think about it. I'm just going to say, well, the indoors for, regarding whore, Hoare kind of hung back in that race and he never even sniffed the front. He wasn't, he got out, he didn't, he missed the medals. You know, he couldn't make that move up. So you'll have move, more room to move on an outdoor track, but that strategy kind of backfired for him. But well, wasn't pre Oslo, or for sure pre, like he came on late to get second. He had no contention for the win. That's the same strategy he needs and hope the first guy blows up. I think. But is this the men's 1500 meter show? Like uh, okay, well oh, wait, should we wait? Talk about Kubatira. We do have an American here. I think Kubatira. I think medal. No, look, look, look. I just want to mention he's the U.S. champion. He was in the news. He cut his finger. He went to the emergency room last weekend. Turns out he's fine. But his his agent calls me. He's like, I have his family members are calling me trying to figure out what happened to him. If he's okay, like you need to let your readers know he's okay. He wasn't hospitalized or anything. Kupatia, no, I put it in my preview. I have more about it there. I think he's the only American I can see really doing anything. Uh, the other guys, Johnny Gregoric and Josh Thompson, I think will be kind of lucky, fortunate to get to the final. It would take a big race for them. But in the final, I, I see Kupatia, basically best case scenario is what we got from Cole Hucker last year. He gets in the final, he runs a big PB, he gets about sixth place, but he's outclassed by the best guys. So could I see Cole... Kubatia doing what Cole did last year, running 331 for sixth? Yes. But I don't think he's going to be in the metal mix. I think he could be in the metal mix. You guys are showing a Holly Hoard. You know, John, do you know what Holly Hoard's 800 uh, meter PB is? 
Robbie, you get obsessed about 800 PBs. You know these guys don't go out and run all out 800s in peak fitness all the time, right? Well, like, we're, we're all saying that the, the Ingebrigtsen is vulnerable because he only runs 147 this year. Only horse PRB. No, I'm is, not saying that. But anyway, I don't know what his PB is. No, it's 149.96 according to Tillistopsha. Jakob Ingebrigtsen can run that the entire way for a 1500. 55 seconds per lap is 326.25 according to John Kellogg. I think. So when's I this PB he, from, by the way, Robert? Can you tell okay. me that? I'm not sure. Um, probably some dual meet in Wisconsin or something. When he was it in was college. an indoor dual meet on February first, yeah, yeah, two thousand one. But his five thousand PB is only thirteen oh nine. Ingebrigtsen is faster than him and has better endurance than him. Game over. Oh wow! You proved my. You proved it, Robert. Jakob Ingebrigtsen's a better runner than Ollie Hoa. Congratulations! That's a really bold position to take. Well, no, but I'm saying Cooper Tier is better too. He's faster eight hundred. He's faster at five thousand. Well, he said so. Kubatia's eight hundred that he ran at the freaking Oxy meet this year was two seconds faster than some random dual meet Ollie Hall ran when he was in college at Wisconsin on probably some flat two hundred meter track. Why am I supposed to re- care anything about any of that data? Oh, get back to me when Kubatia runs three forty seven mile. All right, all right. Who will have the better pro career, Tier or or Hawker, Tier or Hoare? I'm saying Tier right now. Let's bet twenty bucks on it when it's all said and done. All right, guys. I'll be taking a brief break. Have some fun. I'll come back later. I think I'm good. I think I'm going to take Oli Hor in that. Oli Hor right now is better than Kubatia. Kubatia is younger. I mean, they're both really good. I don't want to be viewed as like a Kubatia hater. But anyway, all right. Enough about the 1500. We need to talk about some other events here. No, 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 John. We got to talk about Cooper Deer. Like, is he? I'm half joking here. Is he a strained relationship with his family? Couldn't they just text him or call him? What are they all I, calling his agent to find out what's right. going on? I, well, I assume it wasn't like his parents. I'm guessing it was like maybe a cousin or an aunt or something. I did find that weird. I'm like, if you're related to him, you probably have his phone number, right? Like maybe he wasn't picking up. I, I don't know. And this, I mean, it's, this thread was super hot and let's run. People are so damn jaded. They're like, oh my God, he's getting transfusion. Like... Yeah, I'm sure he would let the photographer who went with him to the hospital show that and put it on his Instagram stories. Like, John, no, John, you 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 pretend to be transparent. You know, it's like, oh, we take up getting EPO. Of course not. Okay, well then, what event do you want to talk about? That we've talked with men's fifteen, we've talked men's ten k. We do have some women events, women's events at this meet as well. Do we want to talk about some of them? So since Robert's gone, I'm going to appoint myself CEO of Let's Run. Since I'm the CEO of Let's Run, I want to have big picture. If you're on the regular podcast, by the time you hear us next week, the men's hundred will be done. So we'll know who the fastest man in the in the world is. The men's women's hundred will be done, which is that may be the best women's event at the meet. Um, the men's fifteen hundred will be done, and the men's four hundred meter hurdles, which was like one of the best events in Rio, excuse me, Tokyo. So. And the 10Ks and both no, marathons. Excuse me. That's and why the you... 10Ks and both marathons. This is crazy. By next Tuesday or Wednesday. But you don't yeah. want to wait to hear us talk about once a week about the world. If you want daily podcasts, you got to be a supporters club member. Join today. Let's run.com slash subscribe. John, you save 20% on running shoes. How much do running shoes cost these days? Hundred. You can get a 150 bucks for if you're getting a high-end trainer. Thank you. About 150 bucks. You save 20%, like you can save 20% like full price retail shoes. That's 30 bucks savings. If you just want to get it in for a month, it's $9.99. Maybe get a coupon. Check it out for 25% off for Worlds. 
So you can make money on this. You go buy a pair of shoes, you save 30 bucks, you pay us $9.99 or join for the year. You should join for the year, obviously get the shirts and whatnot, but, and be sure to enter the prediction contest. Um, what event do I want to talk about next? But part of that also just reminds me, I went to the schedule today, like world is actually here, you know, like before we know it, like these things are going to be done. Um, and also big picture, like, I guess we don't need some discussion of this, but like, can worlds impact track in America? Yeah. But I think the one thing I want to notice is like the schedule is totally for us TV. Everything is late at night here, prime time. So, the, but the only stuff on NBC, which is the big national broadcaster, not cable, is the weekend stuff. But we're going to have primetime track. I, I'm not sure about Friday night, but I'm sure Saturday night, Sunday night on NBC. So you're going to have the, the men's hundred. Um, what's Sunday night, John? I'm not sure what's Sunday night. Sunday night's women's hundred. But have you, I'm just looking at the schedule. Oh, men's 110 hurdles final. Uh, women, is that sorry, Sunday? We got men's 1500 semis. So that'll be good. Men's 110 hurdles final and women's 100 final on Sunday night. That'll be a nice primetime block on NBC. Wow. So the 100... And a shot put final. You could have a world record by Krauser there. That's going on. Women's pole vault final. That, that'll be a fun night. I forgot that they moved up to 110 hurdles because usually that's one of the later events of the Worlds. So, and that's going to be huge. I mean, if Devin Allen somehow, his, he lost his father. He's trying to make the Philadelphia Eagles so he's sort of a mainstream appeal. He ran the third fastest time ever this year, but he got third at USA's. I mean, that thing is wide open. I think Grand Hallway's probably your favorite, but somehow Devin Allen could win that thing in national TV. I mean, it Oregon, he's an Oregon guy. I mean, there's just so many storylines that, you know, big picture, people talk about the TV ratings. Uh, track needs to come out of worlds presenting a positive picture in the U.S., I've seen these stories about the ratings, you know, pre got over a million viewers. That needs to be spun positively. Track and field crushing MLS. Track and field getting the same ratings as um, Formula. Everyone's saying how great F1 is right now. Track and field's Prefontaine Classic pretty much got what F1 got last year. So track and field equal to F Formula One. Oh, it blows out Formula One, you know, this weekend, that sort of stuff. Because, you know, the ratings will be huge. Primetime on the weekends, they're going to get, I don't know. Three, five million, three to five million for sure. I hope they better. NBC and NBC, well, NBC Sports Network isn't a thing anymore, but NBC and like the NBC Olympics and all that sort of stuff, they need to hype the shit out of this thing because they're a big American broadcaster. They have the rights to this. They need to be like, look, this is the the Olympics and they're in the United States. It's the Olympics of track and field. They're happening in the USA. There's nothing else on the American sports calendar right now. Like, what else is going on? It's regular season baseball. That's it. It's a dead period for pretty much every other sport. So try to just own this. Like say, hey, this is a major effing sporting event. It's happening in the United States. I haven't seen that kind of push from NBC yet. So I'm skeptical whether it's going to happen. But it'll be great. You need some crazy shit to happen on the first day or two. Like Elaine Thompson, hurrah, breaks the world record. Shelly and Fraser Price breaks the world record. Or... You know, Fred Curley runs like 9.6, or he runs 9.59 and almost breaks Bolt's record. If something like that happens early in the meet, that will tell the whole country this thing is happening, and we've got one more week of it for you to tune in on. So that's really what I'm hoping for, is there's maybe Devin Allen breaks the world record in the 110 hurdles, or Holloway does it. Something like that happens on night one, or night two, or night three, that might lead to some extra intention for the rest of the meet. 
I'm not sure about long term whether it'll do much, but at least you'll have people hopefully tuning in like, okay, we got some other events coming up. One thing I also will say on the schedule, I'm looking forward to covering Worlds. I'm not looking forward to having the men's 100 meter final on Saturday night. And then 6.15 a.m. Sunday morning is the men's marathon. That is going to be a tough double. for. And then we go straight into the morning session after the men's marathon, which includes the men's 10,000 meter final. So that's going to be an effing grind. And then you get the same thing the next day with the women's, sorry, later that night, women's 100 final, followed by the women's marathon, 6.15 the following morning. So that, that's going to be tough. Those marathon, world championship marathons definitely we're not going to have a lot of sleep that weekend. I'm kind of surprised it's the first weekend. And and also the schedule in general is mostly at night, 9 p.m. East Coast. And there's not a lot of morning sessions. So I was like, oh, this is great. And then I looked. I'm like, wait, I think there's a few morning sessions. Just kind of figuring my schedule this weekend with my wife. And I'm like, ooh, there's some stuff on the Sunday. You know, there's there's quite a lot of stuff. Um, oh, I guess that's what we paid. The last four days, though, well, then. So wait, the Sorry. The last five days, last six days, oh my God, the last six days, there's no morning sessions. So that's basically the trade-off. We're not going to sleep at all the first four days, but then after that, there's no morning sessions at all, apart from like multi-events and race war. So that might end up being a pretty good trade for us media types. But anyway, people don't care about my sleep schedule. July 19th will be the only day that Rojo, me, and John overlap. The 400-meter heats, hurdle heats, start at 5.15. So I think we have to have a let's run meetup. That will be the day, John. We got to do it before the meet that day, like 3 o'clock. I think I'll be there by the airport. We meet up right before 3 o'clock. We'll find a bar. So be sure to check on let's run people. We'll have a get-together, the first ever world championship get-together. We had a get-together where in Tokyo or something? No, no. Beijing. We did. We did. We met a couple American expats in Beijing. So and no, and some Aussies too. Yeah. So July nineteenth is the date. I'm sure to publicize this at the beginning. I guess I can re go back and do it. But um, yeah. So back to this first weekend. Do we want to talk about the hundred or like? I mean, the meat as a whole. So much of the stuff was like the two hundred. I'm so anticipated, and that's near. That'll be after next week's podcast that's a bad cap i don't really want to talk about it now all right yeah let's let's talk about a couple of these individual events all right i do think we need to at least address the women's ten thousand. we don't need to spend a ton of time on it but this is the kind of odd event i was working on the preview of it safan hassan she returns to action i kind of thought okay she can show up she's so good she was so dominant she was the best distance runner in the world last year like she just needs to run a 1450 or something like that and I'll be like, she's fine for Worlds. She's the favorite. Well, she ran 15-13. She said it was a tempo. This was at the Stumptown Twilight meet on Friday. But she didn't look all that smooth. I'm like, I don't think she's the favorite. I don't. She might not even medal in this race. But we also learned Francine Saba. She would have been among the favorites. She's out. She's got a stress, stress reaction, stress fracture. So she's not running the 10K. So I'm like, all right, what about the silver medalist from the Olympics last year? Calcadon gets a Hegne. Okay, well, the, let's just say it, suspicious Bahraini who didn't race at all from 2018 to 2021, then wins the Olympic silver medal and then hasn't raced at all in 2022. She's back to whatever rock 
she crawled out from to medal last year. So who's going to win this thing? I think it's Latessa Betgide. I think the world record holder has to be the favorite here. And she, you know, she was the bronze medalist in Tokyo. She was silver with a terrific effort in Doha in 2019, but got beaten by Safan Hassan because Hassan closed her last 1500 and 359 in that race. Let's remember how absurd that was. I think Gide is probably the favorite, but you've also got Edge Guy Ute of Ethiopia who crushed Gide in that world record attempt at the pre classic. Eilish McColga is in there who quote unquote won the Ethiopian trials. Now, none of the Ethiopians were really trying to beat her, but she's been running well this year. She ran 30, 30 19 in that race. And then you've got Helen O'Beary, who said after last season she was going to retire from the track and head to the roads. She ran decent on the roads earlier this year, 64-22 for the half. But then it's like, oh, I'm going to come back and run the 5K. Sorry, run the Worlds. And she's run the 10K. She's never had as much success on the 10K as the 5K. She's run it twice and never medaled. Whereas she is, you know, she was the Olympic silver medalist in the 5K and two-time world champion in that event. So that's kind of your, your cast of characters here is Taye or Gide or Obiri or a probably not 100% fit Safan Hassan. So my question to you, Weldon, is who do you think wins? And is the door open here for Carissa Schweizer, the American champion, to perhaps steal a medal? I think Gide win. I don't think Hassan's going to be ready. I mean, if she runs this one, she may not run it. She could just run the 5K. That gives her more time. But this race to Stumptown meet, she went out, she ran 72 seconds to start, then 73. Then she was running 74s. Here we go, it's just a tempo. But I'm like, her tempo dropped a little bit. So I don't think she's, uh, she's obviously not 100%, but, you know, she needs probably 90% to win this thing. So I'm going with Taye or G'day. Actually, looking at the Koros prediction contest, the votes, 53% saying G'day, 23% saying Hassan. Is it Eilish McColgan, John? Am I saying that properly? Really? Eilish or Eilish? I think it's, yeah. Eilish. I think you're Eilish, yeah. 9%. Taye, 8.8%. O'Berry, 4.8%. And Wait, I'm not Taye, sure. ha- they're saying Taye has a not as good a chance to win as yeah, Eilish McColgan? John, I don't know. It's just a name that. thing, right? There's a few people who just British name I recognize. They'd vote for her. And did I mess up? I put Monson in. I'm not sure I put Schreiser in the contest. That might have been a mistake on my part. Monson's on there 0.3%. Oh, see, I think, like, look, if Hassan doesn't run, if she just says, I'm scratching this, I think it's going to be maybe, okay, Margaret Kipkenboy of Kenya, who was the silver medalist in the 5K in 2019. She's up there as well. She'll be in the fact in the mix. The third Ethiopian, Bosina Malati, could be in the mix. But I think McColgan and Schweizer both have a shot to medal in this race if Hassan is not Hassan. I mean, history's shown, right? That third medal. Has an American ever gotten knocked the bronze? Uh, so Kara Goucha and Shalane Flanagan both got promoted to silver. They crossed the line third, but they had dopers in front of them. Uh, but no, the, well, you're right. 2007, Goucher got the silver. Joe Pavey actually got the bronze. Uh, she was elevated later. 2008, Shalane Flanagan, bronze elevated to silver. And 2015, Emily Infeld, bronze. So 
could I see another similar situation to those ones? I think Carissa Schweiz is good enough. I think Ailish McColgan's good enough. I think, you know, given that this field, there are a lot of question marks about it. Now, it could be, could Ethiopians just go one, two, three? I guess that's possible, but I kind of feel like McColgan or Schweizer could steal that bronze medal. I, I say steal, I don't mean pejoratively, but like, you know, get the bronze. Figuratively. Yeah. Um, well, Schweizer is in the contest. I guess no one's picked her to finish first. But I guess her dad's, you know, I guess uh, Monson's dad must be a prediction contest player. I don't think they'll medal, but I mean, who are the Kenyans, John? I'm, I'm looking at this contest. It's I don't... Margaret Kip Kemboy, who she was in the Kenyan in the Ethiopian trials race, and she actually finished in between the second and third Ethiopians. And then you've got Helen O'Beary, who won the Kenyan trials, but it was about a minute slower than she won won them in last year, and doesn't have that same record of success in the 10K as she does in the 5K. Yeah, I mean, Margaret got beat by all of the Ethiopians. Or no, actually, she didn't get beat by both Anna Mulati. Margaret's not in the contest. Somehow I didn't check her bot name off. Um, see her here on the list. I don't know why I didn't put her on the list. But, yeah, I'm going to pick Helen O'Berry before her. So, no, they're not going to medal. Okay. The Heat or something. It's also interesting, John. These races are, I think, about, well, I don't know. I'll look up the official time here. Yeah, women's one's at 12.20 p.m. on Sunday. So if I pull up my Eugene forecast, oh, sorry, on Saturday, it's only going to be a high of 82 degrees, which that's that's pretty manageable even in the middle. You know, that's not fun to run a 10K in, but could be a lot worse. But yeah, the men's one is also similar time. It's 1.20, sorry, 1 o'clock p.m. Eugene time on Sunday. High of 80 degrees that day. I think it helps the Americans the heat. So, I mean, but you know, the U.S. trials. It's interesting. They're earlier in the year and they move the races to like 10 a.m. to avoid the heat. Worlds is probably not going to try to do that. If that if the highs like mid 80s, they will keep it. I'm pretty sure because they want to stick to their TV schedule. So, oh yeah, they they're not changing these things unless you like. They had this. I guess they did change the marathon schedule in Doha. It was like 2 a.m. But they're not changing these. They must have some provision to change it because, as you said, they changed the marathon. And if it was going to be like 95 and sunny, I think they'd change it now. Mm, even 95. I'd... Sunny? USA's they'd do it. USA's they would, but they're not locked in. They don't have this global broadcast schedule. I think it maybe 95. That's like 90. If it gets to 100, I think they might change it. But 95, I'm not certain. I guess that's the beauty. We won't know. They, Eugene got lucky. Phil Knight. Seed of the clouds. We're going to have good weather this weekend or decent weather. Monday, Monday is going to get hotter. Let's talk men's hundred. Like this is one of the biggest events in the entire. Like to me, the men's hundred beat the final of the world championship should be one of the biggest sporting events in the entire world every year. This is world's fastest man is being crowned on Saturday in America. American is the favorite. I would say Fred Curley is the favorite, but you know, it's not like you now I could see a scenario where Fred Curley goes out and crushes everyone. But I could also see a scenario where he gets beat by Trayvon Bromel. I could see a scenario where he gets, I mean, maybe Marcel Jacobs hasn't raced at all. I'm a little skeptical, but that guy's a 
clutch championship performer. But I guess how many guys do you think can win this race? Do we think Marvin Bracey could win it? Could Johan Blake or Oblique Seville win this race? Could Ferdinando Manjala, who beat Curly earlier this year in Nairobi, could he win this race? And could Christian Coleman, the defending champion, but he was only third in his semifinal USAs, could he win this race? How many guys do you think has a legit shot to win this thing, Weldon? Well, I obviously didn't think Marcel Jacobs would win the Olympics, but I would say Curly Brumel, Coleman, Omanyala. I think that's it. So no, Marvin Bracey beat Brumel at USA's. You don't, you don't think he has a shot? I don't think so. I mean, I'd be shocked, right? He, he's a good runner, but... Right? I... He's never done it, right? He's he's. It's not impossible. Do I, I guess do I like Marvin Bracey's chances better than uh, Andre de Grasse? Yes. Better than Blake? Yes. But also, John, well, he did beat these guys at USA's. The one caveat, I think we get we get too caught up on the times they ran at USA's. The track in Eugene is so damn fast. We need a conversion factor. So, oh, Bracey ran these fast times. I guess the more important thing is Bracey beat Bermel. But Bermel won pre. So it wouldn't go totally soft on Bermel, right? Because heading into the Olympics last year, who do we think was going to win? Trayvon Bermel. I did, yeah. And he didn't make the final or he got eighth in the final? Didn't even make the make final. It, yeah. yeah, no. I, I Bermel's definitely got a shot. I mean, Carly was just so good. I know like the times in Eugene, okay, that's a fast track. But guess what? They're also running the world championships in Eugene. What time do I think it's going to take to win this race? Probably mid nine sevens. Fred Curley just ran nine seven six, nine seven seven, and nine eight three in just over twenty four hours. So that's one of the greatest sprint performances I've ever seen. Running that fast in that short a time, those three races, it's incredible. He's shown he can go nine seven mid already this year. I think he's the favorite. Yeah, I could see Bromel beating him. Coleman just hasn't impressed me. Coleman. You know, he he didn't run USA final the USA final, so can't totally say what he would have done, but he was only third in his semi in nine eight seven. Now that was the season's best. He was only third at pre. He won that USATF meet on New York, but there wasn't any like there wasn't a great field. I don't know. I he's not he's a lot he's not the same guy that left the sport in twenty nineteen, that's for sure. Agreed. Yeah, I mean, on present form, he's not winning, but I just kind of remember what happened to Ramel in a month last year. He sort of fell apart. So he, could he come on in, in these last three weeks? Yeah. I guess there, that's the thing. There's, it's not that much time since they last raced at USA's. Um, looking at the Koros prediction contest, you're not going to be surprised, John. Fred Curley's your favorite. Guess what percent of people are picking him to win? Sixty-four percent, eighty-two percent. Wow! I mean, I'm shocked. That's a heavy favorite. But I, who else? Why would you pick anyone else over him? I mean, look, the other. I'm saying other guys could win. Right. Fred Cully has to be the favorite. He just crushed everyone at USA's. He looked amazing. So it has to be him. The one guy I think we need to keep an eye on here. I mean, I'm always a little skeptical of the Jamaican trials results because law, you know. Or at least on the women's side. I'm not skeptical of like that these guys are not good, but like 
the women's side, they're not always indicative of what happens at the championships. We've seen Elaine Thompson hurrah get third in the trials of both races and then come out and crush everyone at the Olympics. But that said, Johan Blake ran 985 for the first time in 10 years. That shocked me. I don't think he's going to win, but that at least makes things a little interesting. The other thing, Oblique Seville, he was second in that race in the Jamaican trials, 988. He's run 986 earlier this year. He's only 21 years old. That's what I like about him. Blake is 32. Seville, he could reach, this could be his breakout meet. This could yeah. be, I'm not going to say next Usain Bolt. He hasn't earned that yet, but he could be the next Jamaican star. And we could come away from this meet on Saturday night saying that Dragonfield has a new sprint star. His name's Oblique Seville. He's 21 years old from Jamaica. A hundred percent. That's like a hidden story that could happen at the Worlds. I like his chances to win the Worlds better than Blake's. I don't know where that 986 from Blake, 95. I don't know where that came from. I mean, I saw him running like this Puerto Rican meet earlier this year, and I'm like, oh, yeah, he's kind of past his prime. But, I mean, Blake hadn't broken 10 all year, and then he did it in every single round of the Jamaican champs. So I'm like, wait, this is like Johan Blake. What what year was that even? 2012? It's like 10 years ago. He was really good. Well, he was a lot, he was a lot better than 985 10 years ago. But this is the best. Like That's the fastest he's run since then. Okay, well, that's the 100. Unless you have any, you, oh, what do you think from Jacobs? I mean, I'm kind of rate writing him off. Like, he just the fact that he pulled out of Stockholm really alarms me because you know he ran the Italian Championships. Then we're like, okay, this is gonna be his last test before Worlds. If he was, if he was like, okay, we're just gonna focus on being ready for Worlds, he wouldn't even add that to the schedule. The fact that they added that to the schedule, knowing he was injured. And then they had to scratch. That to me tells that there was a setback or that he just wasn't ready. And that meet was only two weeks before Worlds. That that has me very worried. I'm worried for sure. I'm glad he got the Italian champs in. Without that, I'm like, there's no chance. I think in the 100, you can't come in without a race. Now, I want to see what like Donovan Bailey did in, what was that, 96? Because... I ran at UT one year. Remember Dan Paff talking about Bailey being injured. But I have no idea what Bailey's lead up was to that. But generally, I think no races, you have no chance. But he did run these Italian ch- championships, what, like less than a month ago? Yeah, but he's running. He hasn't broken 10 seconds this year. He's going to need to run like he's going to get, he's going to need to run a personal best to win this final. He's summoned personal best in the Olympic final. And in the world indoors, and actually world indoors, he did it in the semi. He both meets he ran personal best in the semis and in the final. But his fastest win legal time this year is ten oh four. He was ten one two into a point nine headwind at the Italian Championships on June twenty fifth. I'm assuming he probably can go a little better than that with competition, but it's a long way from that to nine seven. Yeah, I mean I think. Guy wasn't the Olympic champion off no expectations. I would just be like, the guy has no chance. I still think he has pretty much no chance. It's like, I would say almost the same thing for Safan Hassan. You know, ask me after the 10K. Let me see. Let me see Jacobs run the first round. I'll tell you. If, he, if, they, if they come out, if he runs well or, you know, it's up there, I'm like, okay, he's got a chance. But 
My general yeah. rule of thumb is like the people who are injured haven't been racing. No, count them out. Count them out. Like track and field, it's one of the most brutal sports out there, right? Like there's no skill to make up for a lack of fitness. Other sports, oh, you can have some trickery, some skill, some muscle memory, some technique. Track, you miss training, you're not you're not 100 percent Well, someone else is and they're gonna beat you. Exactly. Yeah. If Tom Brady's arm hurts, you change the game plan. You can have more short throws. You change, focus on the running game more. Like track and field, you can't just say, oh, can we make this like a 10 flat race and see who can run 10 flat? But it's like, no, doesn't it work that way? So, especially the sprints. Yeah. Because it, it's just, it's a flat out time trial, right? It's eight <laughs> yeah, guys every time sprint trialing. is all out. Yes. You know, hopefully you get a good start. You've caused the guy next to you to like, choke it or something you know or like i mean gallon should have beaten both at one world and he choked at the end of it sorry justin um all right joe we, we got to talk about the women's hundred as well because yeah definitely the talent is much better in this one yeah i mean you've got the two great i mean look people can say what they want about flojo but i'm gonna say it these are the two greatest hundred meter runners women women's hundred runners of all time shelly ann fraser price and elaine thompson hurrah they're squaring off. Thompson Hurrah has never won a world title. Shelly Ann Fraser's won a whole bunch. She's trying to go... She won her first global title in 2008. And now she's trying to win another 14 years later. She's the defending world champion. She's run 300 meter finals this year. 10-6-7, 10-6-7, 10-7-0. She's done that at age 35. That's ridiculous. And I think it makes her the favorite. Even though Thompson Hurrah... The last time, you know, when she was on this track in August last year, the pre-classic, she ran 10.54. We were saying, can she break the world record? She was only third of the Kenyan at uh, the Jamaican trials, 10.89. Again, I'm sort of throwing that out. She has run some good races this year. She ran 10.79 to win the pre-classic. Fraser Price wasn't in that race. She ran 10.83 to win Rabat. But I think you have to gonna go probably 10.6 to win this thing. And I don't know. It, she's been dealing with some injuries this year. I have more faith in Shelly Ann Fraser-Price being able to show up and run 10-6 in this final than I do Elaine Thompson-Hurrah. And sh- Oh, by the way, Sharika Jackson beat both of them. Won the Jamaican trials. 10-7-7, I think. i got to look up their result real quick. Yeah. Yeah, it was 10-7-7. And then goes out and wins the 200 in 21-55. So Sharika Jackson's super fit right now, and she's the Olympic bronze medalist. Yeah, it's weird. After Tokyo last year, I kind of thought, okay, Elaine Thompson harass the future. She may be the greatest ever. Shillian Fraser Price is the GOAT, but you know, she's just too old. And then when Elaine no, last year Elaine was third at the Jamaican trials. This year Elaine runs ten seven nine. I'm like, okay, this is her. So just you kind of we take these mental shortcuts. So in my mind, I'm like, she's gonna win. It's it's Elaine Thompson's. And I sort of ignored Joey and Fraser Price, maybe. But no, like, yeah. So we were saying Sharika Jackson won the trials, but Shelly and Fraser Price, for people who don't know, she did not run the final at the trials. She's defending champ. She she didn't have to. And the other thing, John, with the background, for this GOAT talk, it's crazy. Even if Elaine Thompson wins this one, I'm sorry. She's not the GOAT. It's a passing of eras. 
it's she as you pointed out she's won zero world title which is crazy because she's won what three olympic golds four 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 individual wait, and they won the relay last year so she's won five she did the double double yeah so olympics is everything but overall like I think her highest finish at a world is fourth place, which is crazy. How do you do the double double in the Olympics? They only get fourth. So maybe she's not as motivated or whatever it is, but I think history says you shouldn't pick her to win. I mean, she lost to Kimba Nelson, who's like runs for Oregon. It was like the NCAA runner up at the Jamaican trials. So it should be great. I don't, it's not like she took this year off, you know, she's run 10, seven, nine. This track is fast. Oh my god! I wish Shakari was there for just we make it a little more interesting. Still have an ex- still no explanation why Shakari flamed out. We have I have no. Have you seen anything about why one of the biggest names in American track and field failed to even make the semifinals at USA's in the hundred? I've seen no explanation from her camp. What, well, what do you mean she choked? What do you, What do you want? What I don't know. Like I would. I guess normally when this happens, eventually something will trickle out. Oh, there was an injury or something, or like. No, she just choked. Or got a slow start or whatever. Like, the pressure got her. I'm not sure. I saw her on Instagram flip flip me off, roll up and show her ass to the crowd. And she's a role model. Because she's authentic. I mean, there's parts of Shakira I love. I guess we should all just remember we're all human. Because we shouldn't glorify anyone too much. We've all got our faults. But I was just like, what? hope kids aren't watching this shit. All right. Well, uh- Actually, I do want to talk about American sprinter in this race, someone who deserves it, and that's Melissa Jefferson. She's 21 years old. She's the U.S. champion. She ran 10.82 in the semis, and then a wind-aided 10.69 in the final. I mean, should she be getting more hype? She's only 21. Now, granted, she was 8th at NCAA. Somehow turned it around going 8th at NCAAs to 1st at USAs, but I don't think she'll medal, because I think the Jamaicans are all too good, but I could see her beating out Jackson for the bronze. Like, if you run 10.82, that's not that far off of Jackson's PB. I'm very interested to see how she does. It, like, because this is, again, this is a collegian. We've seen collegians get to this meet. They flame. She could very easily not even make the final because it's at the end of a long season. She's been racing since indoors. But clearly, she's a huge talent. So I'm going to be watching to see what she does in this race as well. You, so she get injured? For NCAs because she ran a super fast time early in the season, flamed at NCAs, and then now she. I asked her why it was. I was like, "How do you do that? Was there an injury?" She's like, "No, I was just." She's saying she was racing a lot at NCAA's, which I guess was true. Like, you know, they did have the four by one, and then you know she was running. She was doubling basically at a conference meet, and then at regionals or tripling conference at regionals and NCAA's. Maybe she was just tired for that, but if she was tired at NCAAs, I would think she'd be even more tired two weeks later at USA's. That wasn't the case. So I, I don't know exactly what happened, and that makes me does make me think at the end of a long season, maybe she's just out of gas, but I don't know. She's coming off her best race of the year, so we'll see. And John, you said she could beat out Sharika Jackson for the bronze. So you're ruling out Sharika Jackson for the win? I just think we've got the two greatest hundred runners of all time in this race. I don't, I could see Sharika Jackson beating one of them. I really struggle to see her beating both of them in the final. 
But I think it could happen. I think Sharika Jackson's better at the 200. I don't think she... I could see Sharika Jackson winning the 200. Absolutely. But the 100 against Shelly Ann and Elaine Thompson, hurrah. No. Not happening. Well, I hope you can see her winning the 200 because 69% of Let's Run voters think she'll win the 200. The 100, 62% for Shelly Ann Fraser-Price. 31% for Elaine Thompson. Then Sharika, 5.8%. Aaliyah Hobbs getting a couple votes. But, I mean, that's the, I kind of, I love how the World's Olympics, they always do this, the 100's first. You know, it's first weekend, not first, but. And actually, I need to check the TV schedule. I'm not sure about Friday night. I'm assuming Friday night isn't primetime NBC. But what else is going on? We're going to have the mixed relay 4 by 4 If it's primetime, they should stick Alice and Felix on there and have the farewell show and get it. Oh, you would think NBC would love that. They would probably have a separate Alice and Felix cam. They're going to be showing her the whole day. They'll end by the Americans. Well, actually, what will be fairly amusing is if the Dominican Republic, they have a very good 400 squad, and they would beat the Americans. Poland and Dominican Republic beat the Americans in this event at the Olympics last year. I think it would be quite funny if they're building this whole about some golden farewell for Alice and Felix, and then the Dominican Republic comes in and stumps the USA because USA is running its C team in this race. I mean, not, not that I'd be laughing. Like, Allison Felix has a, had an amazing career. She's been a great ambassador for the sport. Like, she deserves to be celebrated and honored. But I also do feel like people are already sort of handing the Americans the gold medal in that event. And I don't think the USA is good enough if Dominican... The Dominican Republic's got the silver medalist for the women's 400, Mallory Lady Paulino. And unlike Felix, who's the bronze medalist, she's actually been running really, really well this year. So I don't know. I don't really care about that race, I guess. But I do think that anyone who's thinking, oh, the Americans, they're shoe-in, they have to win. Uh, not necessarily. Well, they sh- we should be, right, if we run a- an A-team, right? Yeah, but they're not going to. There's no way the American... Like, Michael Norman's not going to run this thing. They're not going to put Ry Benjamin on this thing. Like, no way. But who's the Dominican team? Like, they shouldn't beat us. They've got a couple guys who've run like 44 and 45, and they might say, hey, this is our chance to get a gold medal. We're running the A-team. The USA, their A-team in the 400 isn't even that good this year. Like, Talitha Diggs is really good, but she's probably not going to run this relay. Okay, the 400 starts on Monday for the men and Monday for the women. Run your A-team. Like, come on, people. Do you want a gold medal or not? No, they want a gold medal in a real event, which is the 4 by 4 at the end of the meet. They say, there's, no, so I'm going to run what, the legit event and get the legit gold medal. I'm not going to run the Mickey Mouse event and get the Mickey Mouse gold medal. What do you think happens with Allison Felix? I think she runs the final only. I think she delivers a good leg. But The final of what? Depend on, is she going to be in the mixed team or the women's 4 by 4 which is a No, no, she, they've already said she's running the mixed event. She will run the final of the mixed relay. I don't think they'll make her run the prelims on Saturday mo- on Friday morning. So they've announced she's running that one? That's it? Yes. And that's her final race ever? Or is she not? Uh, I think she's going to do some farewell event in Los Angeles or something. But this will be like a chance to say, I mean, yeah. And I've got the TV schedule here. Friday night is on USA Network, so it won't be on NBC, which is more eyeballs. But hey, 10,000 meter fans, good news. The women's 10,000 meters will be live on NBC, John, Saturday. The men's 10,000 meters will be live on Sunday. 
And then also at night, you have the men's hundred and the women's shot put. And the next day, the women's hundred and the men's shot put and the men's hundred hurdles. So you got to think, this is what people will see mostly. You know, social, with social media, obviously something else crazy happens, they'll see it. But like, just by chance, you're going to have way more eyeballs on that. And then the second weekend is the only other time where you got NBC. You got the men's eight and the four by one. And then the women's eight, the women's hurt, short hurdles and the four by four. All right. I mean, there are other events we could look. There's a ton of events we can preview, but we're also going to be talking about this stuff all week on the Supporters Club podcast. Again, let'srun.com slash subscribe to sign up for those if you want access. Do we want to say anything about the marathons because they're happening on Sunday and Monday? Well, then we've also got both steeplechases starting on Friday and Saturday, the first round of those events. Do you have anything... I don't think we need to preview every event, but is there anything about those events that you're interested in? I feel like Galen Rupp running the marathon. I I don't know what he's going to do because he's had some injuries earlier this year, some back issues. Sounds like he got it sorted out, but I don't know. From what he was telling, he sounded like he was trying to put on a brave face to Sarah Lodge Butler of Runners World. He spoke to her and gave her an interview ahead of Worlds, but Mike Smith, his coach, I reached out to him. He never got back to me about Rupp's, you know, about what he's thinking about Galen Rupp. And my take on this is I think Galen Rupp's a very tough runner, but I also think he needs training. He's saying how he has to rely on his talent. Well, do you remember the last time Galen Rupp tried to run a race and he, you know, was kind of undercooked, wasn't ready for it. He still tried to give it a go. It was 2019 Chicago and he wound up dropping out of that race in frustration. I, I think he's a guy who needs like, he, he needs to be hitting some big workouts. It sounds like one of his last sessions went well, but against a world championship field, I'm skeptical of his ability to medal. If his training was hampered so much earlier this year, because remember he was, he was getting smoked to the 15 K champs, the US us 15 K champs in March. He had the drop out of the New York city half. Things were not going well in March. I'm not sure if he can go from that in March to now meddling in July. Yeah, right. I think it's two races where US 15K, not good. And then he drops out of US half and yelling like F on a bridge or something. I don't like his chances, obviously. Um, and I'm sure when the world's key, bigger picture, John, the New York Times reached out to me. Pretty sure they're writing a story on Galen Rep. And this isn't the angle that I, I don't know what angle they're taking. I think they're just writing about Rupp. But when the worlds were awarded to Eugene, when did that happen, John? Twenty April twenty fifteen. Crazy, right? So Rupp's already is Olympic silver medalist in the ten thousand meters. Alberto Salazar's coaching him and Mo Farah. I mean, there's no worlds without Nike and Phil Knight. I'm sure they're thinking like, wow, this is. This could be it, you know, like Rupp, Salazar, Nike, the home of Nike, Hayward Field. And Alberto Salazar, I assume he's not going to be in Eugene. You don't think he's going to be on the streets? You don't think he's going to be on the streets of Eugene watching Rupp? I was trying to think of the right word because sad's not the right word, John. Just terribly unfortunate, right? Or That's not even the right word. 
just I wish this wasn't the case, right? It's like, a sordid story. I think that's where, it, where I'll leave it. That sells us yeah. the allegations. The allegations that were publicized against him were pretty scary. Right. So. The sport thing, I mean, a conviction there. It's just, yeah, it reminds us, assuming stuff's true, we're way more human than we thought. But just, yeah, now Rupp's kind of, we. I guess you could have done the math, looked at his age, he'll be up there in a year eight years but i'm sure they were thinking like oh wow and i know i'm not expecting anything from him yeah well one thing is the meat was pushed back a year so if you put rap of 20 i mean rap last year he was second in chicago and he was eighth at the olympics he had a pretty solid year like you put 2021 rap 35 in this race certainly a medal contender and not i'm look i'm not saying it would be impossible if he friends medal but the guys in the rest of this field is pretty good. Lawrence Chirono, probably number two marathoner in the world behind Kipchoge. Uh, Tamarat Tola, he's medaled at Worlds before in the marathon. Mozanek Garamu, you know, he's like a 202-203 guy. Seifu Tura, who beat Rupp to win Chicago last year. Bashir Abdi and Abdi Nagaye, so that's the bronze and silver medalist from the Olympics last year. Jeffrey Camwaro is in this race. You've got Daniel Dos Nascimento, the Brazilian guy who kind of came out of nowhere to run to a four earlier this year. So a lot of talent in here. And look, some of these guys are definitely going to wither in the heat or drop out or something. Like it's a world championship marathon. Oh, it's right at 6 a.m. So I mean, it's probably not going to be very hot, but not everyone's going to run well. But I think there's enough good guys in this race where it's going to be very tough for Galen Rupp to medal. For sure. I'm looking at my prediction contest spreadsheet here, John. My apologies. Looks like the something might have got adjusted and the d- names and descriptions are off. I'm, I'm not sure this is the, uh, the actual case on the live contest, but I... No, it is, because we, we got a message from friend of Let's Run, Chris Lotzbaum. I guess he didn't check your text, but he's saying all the descriptions for the athletes were off. They're all, they're just not assigned just to the for the marathon. Athlete. Just for the men's marathon, yes. Because I'm like, what? Timurito is second, and I'm really confused. Who am I talking about here? Yeah. Um, wow, what happened here? I mean, I'm excited to see what Cam Warwood does. Remember, we were all pumped. Like, he's going to Boston. He was made to run Boston. He's won New York twice. He's won World Cross twice. He's He's going to dominate this thing. He's not even a factor. He's 18th, just got crushed over the final 10K. So do we get some redemption for Cam Warrior? Does he fight, you know, does he get his world title on the mar- in the marathon? He'd be marathon world champ, world cross champ, world half champ, or is he just still, I think it's going to be tough for him. I mean, I could see him beating this field, but there's just a lot of really good guys in this race. Yeah, and the world's marathon, it's probably the hardest one to predict because... It's sort of off season, off calendar or mid calendar. These guys are used to doing spring marathon, fall marathon. I think with super shoes, it's probably easier to do recover and, and do a summer marathon. But some of them got one eye on the paycheck in the fall as well. Like, right. you know, are they all going to go all in to win the worlds when the big money is in the full majors? Yeah. They're like, okay, I'll do it. But their focus is on Berlin or Chicago or New York. Right. So, you usually have 
you know, some surprises or, you know, some people are sort of world champs, almost specialists, right? But we're not going to have that this year, I don't think. Yeah. The women's side, we've got, I mean, it's, it was going to be an amazing race, actually, when Perez Jepchichu was announced for it, but she has pulled out due to injury. She's supposed to be running New York this fall. Uh, we've got Ruth Jepengedich, who's the defending champion, 217 earlier this year in Nagoya. Angela Tanui and Asheta Bakere. I think they've both also run 217. Let me check the entries real quick. Yep. Oh, sorry. Yeah, Tanui is a 217.57 PB. Bakari is 217.58. Goti Tom Gebreslas, who won Tokyo in... Sorry, no, she didn't win Tokyo. She ran 218 in Tokyo this year, but she won Berlin in her debut last year. She's in here. I mean, that, that that's a pretty... Great field up front. You have to think a couple of them are in shape. The Americans, Kira D'Amato subs in for Molly Seidel. We know she's fit right now. We don't know if she's marathon fit, but I would say D'Amato probably has a better chance to medal than either Emma Bates, who was second in Chicago last year, or Sarah Hall, who was phenomenally fit the last couple of years, but this year her spring racing results haven't been quite on par with previous years. So I, I kind of think D'Amato, I like her chances to, to medal the most, even though I don't think she's probably going to medal because the rest of the field's too good. I mean, the field's very good. You got one, two, five women under 219. But, and then you also have people like Abel Ishana, who was second in Boston this year. But, I mean, D'Amato's sixth on the list. There's heat. There's these other factors. You can't completely rule it out. I mean, this isn't the Olympic marathon field of last year, right? It's not as good. No. Well, I don't think the heat is going to be much of a factor for these races. They're at 6 a.m. in Eugene. It take you know it's going to be 50s or 60s at 6 a.m. I don't think. I mean, maybe by the end of the race, it's getting up there. But I don't think heat's going to be a factor like it normally is in these races. Monday's supposed to be hotter than Sunday. The women's marathon's Monday, but it's, you're right. It's 6.15. It shouldn't be too bad. And, John, was, was the model under selection criteria? Was she the next person selected for this? Yeah, she would have been fourth in line. So that's why she got first crack at it, basically. Okay. But, I mean, sort of, who do I expect to win? Probably, I mean, it's still sort of trying, like, guessing, but Ruth Shepengedich. Oh, I think it has to be Shepengedich. She ran 217.18 yeah. in Nagoya this year, and she's the defending world champion. She won Chicago, lost full. I think it has to be her. I mean, doesn't that, that still might only be, like, a 30%, 25% chance because it's the marathon, but she'd be my pick. Yeah, I think so, for sure. Because... She's done it in the heat, obviously, in the past. Oh, wow. Huge favorite in the prediction contest. 82% picking her. Um, but, I mean, the Nagoya race, it's not a marathon major, but they had ridiculous prize money this year, right? What was it? 250? 250,000 for first. So she won that race. It was the most lucrative race this spring in terms of prize money. She's the defending champ. So she should be good to go. Um, the prediction contest for the men, I mean, it's all over the place. 
Tola at 38%, Toronto 21%, Garamo 12%, Kimmer 8%, MD. Wait, Tola is 38%? Is it just because he's listed first? That's probably the, I have to assume that's the reason, right? Probably. And then my descriptions were off. So people just get, oh, yeah, yeah. All right. So, yeah. Actually, what, what, do, what do I say about him? Let me see what, I, what my description says about him. Yeah, world record holder, 201.39 PB. I think I sort of, because that was the only race, like the qualifying window was different, so I think I sorted their times, but I didn't sort the descriptions. It yeah. must have been what happened. Oh, my dis- no, it, it's, it's not that great of a description. Second in Boston, fourth at Olympics, one to Valencia. So it must be Toronto. Um, okay. I mean, we've gone for about two hours now. Well, then, any final thoughts you want to add before the world championships begin at Haywood Field on Friday? I can't believe I'm saying that sentence, but it's happening. They're in the U.S. They're at Haywood Field. It will host a world championships three days from now. Yeah, big picture. It's finally here. It's great. Let's... Tr- I think... I mean, in the sport, a lot of times we hold people accountable. We point out flaws. I'm hoping that the sport can get some runway from this lead up to LA 2028. It's not going to obviously make track way more popular, but we're going to have primetime NBC for four weekends. We had primetime NBC for Olympic trials. People don't forget that. So it's like facts in the U.S. isn't quite that big of a deal. I mean, we had the world skiing championships in the Vail a couple years ago. I went to Vail this year and I was like, wait, what's this world championship stuff? I had no idea. But me personally, I'm excited, John. Like, I don't get there till Tuesday, but the worlds are a big deal. Now it's in Eugene. I think I'm just used to going to Eugene, kind of hanging out at the same stomping grounds, the same few people. It's so sort of casual. I mean, you might have 20,000 people, but it's, it's you walk here. You walk there, the media stuff sort of informal. That's not what a world is like. So I'm sort of curious to see these blending of two worlds, how it's going to yeah. play out. I better pass my damn COVID test. John, do the athletes have to take a COVID test too? Uh, I haven't checked on that. I'm not, I'm not sure. Uh, Try to find I... out because that's unfair. If I'm deprived of worlds because of a COVID test, that's unfair. Yeah, no, it is weird though, Well, then because... We go to like a world championships. You go to some major mar- major international city. It's a huge stadium. You're down in the bowels of the stadium waiting for all the athletes to come through. There's media from all over the world. You see all these people, like all the broadcasters, everything. It's got a big event feel. And I don't associate, I mean, I look, USA, Haywood Fields hosted the Olympic trials, but I don't associate a big event feel with people flying out to Eugene, Oregon. It's it's it will be a little weird. It will be strange to be have the event at you know such a small town, and there aren't like when you when you're done in a major meet at the Worlds, there's all these other restaurants or whatever or McDonald's or all those other places like in the city you can go. They're open late night, and Eugene there's about like four restaurants or something. Or where are you going to go afterwards to get a meal at one a.m. after we're done recording the podcast? <laughs> I don't know, man. Yeah, we haven't figured out supporters club members. We haven't figured out when we're going to do. Well, the live show is live for everybody. So, but it's going to probably be, we'll try to probably try to do them. Oh my God. I'm not going to get any sleep on the East Coast. I need to get to the meet, John. 
to be harder when I'm here because I got to wake up when my two-year-old wakes up no matter what. But the shows will probably be about midnight on the East Coast. I'm thinking. I think that's generous. I think it's going to be later than that. The way these worlds go. And then I got to put in the podcast feed. Oh, God. Hey, look, this is this is what we play for, Weldon. This is our, our peak. We got to get the true. pressures on. We got to deliver for the fans. This is what they come to let's run for. We can't let them down. So come on, people. Join the supporters club. Like the sign up is amazing. Like we, we have tons of you guys. You're on the fence. Like it's, there's no question. Um, but yeah, John. I mean, I got flu and pneumonia coming after Rio. I was so tired. It's not a sustainable lifestyle, but you can grind through. We're very privileged. John will admit, John, in Rio, half the time I was texting some girl who I never met trying to find a wife. It didn't really work out for me. It worked out for the best. I found a much better wife. So I should have been focused just on the track. But, you know, I was on hinge half the time. Well, it was ridiculous. We get back to the apartment. You have like two hours in the afternoon to get a nap to account for like, because you're only sleeping like three or four hours a night at night. So I would go to my bedroom, pass out. And well, then I get wake up from my nap and be like, well, did you sleep at all? And you just be like, no, I was texting some girl from London. I'm just like, what? Oh, my God. Hey, I was, let's see. Uh, I was over 40 and single at the time. Uh, it was desperation, man. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, then can't wait to see you next week. Uh, can't wait. To, hopefully we'll have some time to meet some supporters, maybe for lunch or something. We'll, we'll no, have we already said John. the 19th, the 19th. All right. For sure. The 19th, probably three o'clock. Yeah. Check the website. Enter the Coros Prediction Contest. I mean, we have thousand dollars in gift certificates. I mean, you can get the cheapest Coros watch for one hundred ninety nine bucks. I mean, that's the pace too. It's Kipchoge edition. It's like a great watch. Enter the coaches. All you coaches, we love the coaches. Enter the coaches division, and of course, join the supporters club. And we better pass our COVID test. That's all I know.